Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning. Today I would like to talk about a few subjects. The first one is that um, to make sure everybody that is listening or that listens to the show um, to register to vote. Uh, You have the ultimate power of electing officials who make laws that affect people in juvenile dependency court and in family court. And you have the ultimate power to vote out judges or elect judges who are going to be family friendly. So please, everyone, register, vote, pay attention to the uh, legislative and the judicial elections that go on uh, once or twice a year in every county in California. I hear a lot of people complaining about certain laws, about complaining about certain judges, and there's something that people can do. They can wage a war and they can uh, vote. They can organize at the grassroots level and vote their candidates in. Today I want to talk about a couple things that are somewhat related. And the first thing is called the Interstate Compact for the Placement of Children. In the United States, um, children, when they are detained or taken away from their children, excuse me, from their parents, um, can be placed in another county, in another state, or even another country. And the rules are all very similar, um, and they're governed by the Interstate Compact for the Placement of Children, commonly known in the vernacular as the ICPC. Now, the ICPC is a law among states that facilitates children being placed with relatives um, who live in another state. So, for example, Let's say that you're in Los Angeles County and your children are taken out of your custody. You and the children have rights to be placed with relatives. But what if there are no relatives uh, in Los Angeles County? Where do the children go or where can they go? I always tell people, hey, when your children have been detained and placed in foster care, give me a list of 25 names and you can get this from both parents, but a list of 25 names of people who are related by blood, people who are related by marriage, and people who are just good friends of the family that could take these children. So generally, if they're going to be placed in another state, um, it's going to be governed in the juvenile court by the interstate compact, the ICPC. And in California, the um, ICPC is actually codified, and meaning there is a law about it, 
and it's found, I believe, in the Family Law Code. And if you wait a minute, I'll give you the site to that. Here is an official description of what the ICPC is. The ICPC is a contract among member states and U.S. territories authorizing them to work together to ensure that children who are placed across state lines for foster care or adoptions services receive adequate protection and supportive services. The ICPC establishes procedures for the placement of children and fixes the responsibility for agencies and individuals involved in placing children. To participate in the ICPC, a state must enact into law the provisions of the ICPC. In 1975, California adopted the provisions for or of the ICPC, which now can be found in and at Family Code Section 7900. The statute designates the California Department of Social Services as the appropriate public authority responsible for the administration of, I, of the ICPC. The purpose of the ICPC is to protect the child and the party states in the interstate placement of children so that the child can be placed in a suitable environment. The receiving state has the opportunity to assess the proposed placement is not contrary to the interest of the child and its applicable laws and policies have been followed before it approves the placement. The sending state obtains enough information to evaluate the proposed placement. The care of the child is promoted through appropriate jurisdictional arrangements and the sending agency or individual guarantees the child legal and financial protection. That last uh, phrase, the financial protection, has a, a huge impact, in, in my opinion, on how the ICPC has administrated here in California. I want to tell you a quick story about a case, a case that I recently did. Um, child was detained from the parents. Father went to jail. Mother's living here in Los Angeles. Turns out that father and mother all of their relatives are in Colorado. Child is placed in a foster care here and placed with a foster parent who wants to adopt the child. The grandfather on the mother's side calls me up and says, hey, I want my grandchild, my six-year-old grandchild. Um, you know, she'll be seven soon and I know her. She spends a lot of her summers with me you know, here in Colorado. So we make that um, request of the court and of the social workers. And strangely enough, well, I'm joking, as could be expected, the department doesn't want to place the child in uh, the grandfather's home. They don't even want an order, an ICPC, a, a report from the Denver um social workers to assess the grandfather. We go to court several times, kicking and screaming, and finally the judge orders an ICPC. Colorado goes out and investigates the grandfather, says he's A-OK -okay to take the child, and um, 
L.A. County is still kicking and screaming. Because remember I mentioned about that financial protection? Well, it's America, and, you know, everything seems to be tied to capitalism and making money. So the Department of Children and Family Services here in in Los Angeles County, like in every county in California, makes money when they detain children, when they adopt the children out, and provide services for family and children. But a lot of that money will go, a lot of that money follows the child. And if the if child is sent to Denver, Colorado, guess who gets money that California would have gotten or L.A. County would have gotten? The state of Denver. So surprisingly, in my opinion, a lot of social workers are not anxious to place children outside the county, especially with friends or relatives who live in other states, let alone other countries. There is the same provisions um, for placing children in other countries. So at the beginning of every case, I personally ask uh, clients to give me a list of 25 relatives who, and by the way, they have to be friendly relatives, who can have the children placed with them. 25 is a lot of names. I was accused one time of a, by a judge in Riverside when I showed up with 20, not 25 names of harassing the social worker. Now, this dovetails into my second topic that I wanted to talk about. Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 309. I get so many calls from people who are relatives who can't get a foster child placed with them. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling how many relatives are just ignored. Now, as I recall, the county of San Francisco lost a huge lawsuit because they didn't place a child or children with relatives from the outside of the case, and the family lost the children to adoption. The law requires that the social worker do an investigation for the placement of children with relatives. In my opinion, that's not fully, um, that's not fulfilled by most counties here in California to the extent where they actually go out and search. Generally, the question becomes by the social worker to the parent, do you have anybody that can take the kid? And usually the parents are thinking hey, I don't want to tell my family that my child was removed for this, by the social worker for possible uh, child abuse. So a lot of parents aren't forthcoming with the information. And that is a detriment to the child and to the family as a whole. And the child gets placed in a foster care where the child you know, develops a relationship with the foster parent and you know sooner or later the foster parent is convinced or wants to uh, adopt the child um, and terminate the familial rights so i get a lot of calls from relatives you know grandparents aunts uncles cousins hey i want to get the child in foster care the social worker tells me no a lot of my clients tell me hey the social worker told me that the child cannot be placed outside the county that's blatantly false. The child can be placed with anybody, a friend or a relative, 
inside the county where the case is or outside the county, outside the state, outside the country for that matter. So never accept the fact that a social worker tells you that the, that the child can't be placed out of county. So I'm going to talk about Section Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309, which requires the children to be placed with relatives. And it's a section of law that's very rarely used or enforced um, by parents' attorneys or by minors' attorneys. Right now, I'm going to take my first call. I'll talk about 309 a little bit later in the show. I'll take my first call. It's from area code 805, ending in 96. Good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning. Okay. Perhaps they don't want to uh, speak on the phone, so I'll go to my next call. It's area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning. You hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Well, I kind of like have both. Um, it's been it's been um, a hard <clears throat> situation. I've been just pondering about how to go about resolving one part of my family. Um, just real quickly, our family was uh, broken apart by social services, and they've done nothing but to keep us apart. And one element of our family is our daughter. And our daughter's at the point now where she's been so for three years, so caught up in the brainwashing. I, I'm going to use that term brainwashing because she gets no encouragement from social services about being with her parents. And so she's at the premises now where she thinks that uh, uh, she wants to be adopted late. And she's 15 now, and she wants to be adopted by a um, family that culturally is no relationship to her culture or religion or so forth and but she's uh, been so bounced around by social services and so i guess torn apart my my question or concern is that what can we do as parents um i, I know we just have to sit tight and ignore and not worry but it is kind of concerning to us because the clock's ticking and 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 it's going to go to uh um uh, another proceeding down the road, and I just want to know what can you do when you have someone that uh, that's been so, I guess, changed and and uh, now doesn't want to come with mom or dad. Um, do you think that the social worker or social services has influenced the child not to come back to the home? Oh, very, very much so. It's just. It's the hardest thing because, see, social services um, it was my fault because I believe that the system is supposed to be fair and they're supposed to support the family getting back together. And when mom and dad have done all the requirements many times over and keep doing them and keep following along everything, the social worker has a tendency in her reports 
to always make the mom and dad look bad. I mean, just recently it was pathetic. She's making assumptions that supposedly I'm at the at the place where the mom is, which is never the the case. And there was alleged that I violated my restraining order. And she's already made it guilty, which I mean had my uh, trial on it. And so she's allowed to write these reports. So it's very obvious. You can see the intention of her is 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 to destroy a family. Do you think the social worker has purposely influenced the child against you? Oh, yeah, because, you see, when you get accused of something, and ours was economic, economics was what caused me to get into problems, and uh, they start digging in, and they start looking for things, and then uh, suddenly the original report, which you're found on, has been so far exaggerated, it's it's like, you know, you, you start off, with a bicycle and you see the word bike and, and now they're at a motorcycle. It's like, this amazes me how much the social services has done to destroy us. Do you, do you know any particular reason why they've tried to go out of your way to destroy your family? Well, I think probably partly so is that the, the um, at first, I didn't have. I had a public defender, and the public defender was frustrating me because the public defenders just don't really know what they're doing. At least the ones I had, and so I started uh, writing uh, responses to the reports and the email to the uh, supervision and the higher ups, and so I, I guess it stirred up a lot of truth. And social service doesn't want to hide it, so they said, "Let's go after." And let's 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 punish these people. Let's teach them a lesson, which um, you know is sad because it's the expense of a beautiful family that loves each other. So you you, you said you were writing responses to reports. Who are you writing them in? Well, at, at first you send an email and say in the report you say such and such. That's wrong. You can't that did not happen or that's been portrayed wrong or misrepresented. You start pointing out things that are truth and they don't want to hear it. They just don't, they're not used to having people that are, and I, uh, I'd say that people that really can stand up for themselves. And so, I mean, I had meetings with the, uh, the, uh, the director of, of social services, uh, you know, several meetings and he thought, uh, he was so shocked when he realized that it wasn't what I was accused of. He was being misfed information. And it's really, it's it's like in my business world, um, if I have problems, I'll go away to the top. I'm a CEO professionally. And uh, if I have a problem, I have no problem talking to anybody in the hierarchy of our, of our legal system. And do you think that at this point that was a mistake? Well, <laughs> I at the time when I first started doing it, um, it uh, I didn't think it was because again, uh, when I was in my profession or my business is that if there's a problem, you go and resolve it. If you can't resolve it at the immediate level, you sometimes have to skip a couple steps to get done. And I have got resolved. I mean, a classic example. I was. Uh, uh, with a, a friend that had finished physical therapy and needed their 
license and it was getting uh, held up. So I went and contacted the governor. He put me in touch with the lieutenant governor. And within 24 hours, I got the license. And so the person could go and get a job. I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes ridiculous. You have to go that route, but, uh, I have been successful in the past going, uh, up the, up the food chain. You say you have been successful or you have not? I have been. This is the first agency or the first um, department that has been very unsuccessful. And then what I've been told is that it's a money-making machine and they need to make money. The longer they draw it out, the, the more money they, they get. And, uh, and uh, I, I think when you ruffle feathers, people get to – the person that's in charge of me is a young uh, – and it's a young female. She's like in her late twenties. She's making, you know, seventy-five thousand dollars a year, and she doesn't have children. She just recently got married, and uh, and doesn't even know uh, about families. And so, this person definitely has some issues, and uh, has really taken on the role of like, I can get these people and just screw them up. You know, I want to. Um tell give you and the listeners some advice that I generally tell clients and that is do not communicate with any social workers now what I tell them is do not communicate without me specifically me or one of my attorneys being there or being on the conversation because what happens when you talk to a social worker and by the way social workers are highly trained governmental agents. I want to say that again. Social workers are highly trained governmental agents. Trained in the sense in terms of eliciting information, gathering information, perhaps twisting what you say. I've had social workers, and I know of cases, many cases, where social workers have not only twisted, but have outright, outright been untruthful with respect to what they say on the witness stand or write in reports. If you don't talk to the social worker, is it going to be used against you? Probably. But on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst, it's probably a 5. If you talk to the social worker, it's going to be a 10. So you have two choices. What do you want, a 5 or a 10? Most people will go for the 10, excuse me, go for the 5, and, and, and not go for the 10. So that means you shouldn't talk to a social worker without your attorney being present or on the line. So, sir, I want to thank you for your call today, and uh, please keep listening to our show. Thank you, Vincent, and thank you for all you do. All righty. I'm going to take the next call. It's area code 760, ending in 00. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? A story to tell. Go ahead. Hi, Vince. Uh, back in oh, the late uh, 90s, I had a friendship with a, a young lady that uh, had adopted her grandchildren, and she then 
passed away some 10 years later when the children were 14 and 15. And uh, I took um, custody, didn't have any legal guardianship or whatever she had put in her will, that she wanted me to take care of the two boys. And there was a young girl. Um, So I got, uh, I'll say his name is Charles, um, at the age of uh, 15, um, took him into my home in my heart and made sure that he had everything that he needed. And uh, he got involved with his high school sweetheart, who at her age of 15 was already exposed to drugs and alcohol and consequently got him exposed to it as well. And they got married at 15 and 18, and they had a child. Um, that child uh, in that relationship was great for the first year. She was a r- relatively good mom. He was a relatively good father, um, but uh, they got involved in drugs and gangs and in crime and uh, probably had close to about uh, 30 open CPS cases by the time I got involved. Um, The mother came to me and said, hey, they're going to take my child from me. Uh, Can we move in with you? And I was like, absolutely. By this point, the father of that child had gone to jail for some offenses. Um, Long story short, the child and the mother came to stay with me. Um, The mother disappeared, left me with the child for periods of sometimes two days, three days, until it became one month. I went and got legal guardianship, um, actually through CPS in in that Kern County area where they were living. Um, They helped me get the legal guardianship and keep it. And... Everything was fine and dandy until the father decided, you know what, I want my child back. So I'm going to make up some stories. I'm going to say that Mr. So-and-so sexually abused me when I was with him in, for lack of a better word, relative care. Um, And I had a CPS worker come to my home, and I didn't realize you're not supposed to talk to these people. You know, they tell you right away, um, I'm here to help you. Um, There's some allegations. We need to get them finalized. We need to find out, you know, the truth here, and then uh, there won't be any problems. And, you know, your your previous discussions with other people calling in are, are true and correct. They lie. They misinterpret. They twist. They turn. Um, when they... Oh, so that the CPS officer came and talked to me, or agent, whatever they call themselves these days. Um, four months went by and before I heard from them again, and they did a, a most horrible thing I've ever been through in my life, and they detained my child. Um, they went to his school and got him. Um, and it was horrible. And uh, I, uh, as you probably remember, I hired your law firm to protect me, and I had already made four or five mistakes by communicating with those social workers because, again, um, they are highly trained. They're highly trained to screw you. Um, they, they either like you or they don't, and I think 98.9% of the time they don't like you, um, and they do try to draw out the case so uh, there's money made. Um, uh, the public defenders that uh, are offered, I call them public pretenders, um, they seem to side with whoever they feel uh, 
is, is more appropriate. Even if you're right, they're going to go against you. So I went through a great deal of, of, of hell until I figured out I needed some professional help because you can't do it by yourself. I'll repeat that. You cannot represent yourself. I forget the, the joke about uh, you represent yourself, you're a fool. Well, it's true. Um, and I went through a period of nine months of, of visits, monitored visits with my child, uh, phone calls. Um, sometimes the visits didn't happen. They mess with your head. They tell you the child doesn't want to see you and the child doesn't want to talk to you on the phone. Um, meanwhile, they're telling the child um, that you don't love him anymore and you don't want to be around him anymore, um, but the judge is ordering visitation. And I mean, it screws them up. Uh, my child now was recently diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have it too. Um, so long story, uh, we went through nine months of trials and innuendos and psychological testing and, and to a great degree of, of, of trauma on both sides. Um, and the judge in my case decreed that there was no credibility, that uh, the father had blatantly lied. Um, it was in the guardianship transcripts that not one complaint, not one allegation of, of sexual abuse uh, on my part. And it took that judge nine months to realize that. So you go through a tremendous amount of, of hell. And I can't remember how many times I called you and your, your firm and said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I was going to the hospital with chest pains. It was just the most horrible thing. So you can't do it by yourself. So fast forward now, uh, almost uh, six months later, I got him back in August of last year. Um, moved to another county away from DCFS. And again, another allegation by the father and the father's family. And this time the CPS worker came to my home with two uh, police officers, and like I was public enemy number one, and wanted to ask me more questions. And this time I asked her if she had a warrant, and she said no. And I said, then you need to leave. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do well. Shoot your best shot. And my next phone call was to your office, um, and I think they've basically uh, gone away at this point. So even after you've gotten your child back, they they try. Um, they don't like to lose. Um, and the best thing I think I ever did, not just hiring your firm, was uh, filing a civil lawsuit against DCFS and uh, the County of Los Angeles. So here we are. So again, from the bottom of my heart, <laughs> I thank you. Yes. You know, um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when Riverside came out to your house, I called the social worker and asked to speak to their attorney. Well, their attorney did call me back, and I happen to um, know him in the sense that I've done cases, you know, uh, against him out in Marietta uh, at the courthouse, uh, the CPS courthouse in Marietta. So we were familiar with him. You know, he's a very professional guy, very nice, um, but, you know, he's representing the social worker. And he told me, I believe, that the person who referred the case, I don't know if he told me this or not, but I somehow came to this conclusion, was the social worker in L.A. who we defeated in the trial. 
she mm-hmm. she apparently wasn't taking um, the decision by the judge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she wasn't taking uh, the decision by the laws as the as you know the righteous uh, findings of the court that everyone will obey. And she, I think, I think, and I'm not going to say this for sure, but I think she is the one that called Riverside County and reported you for child abuse. And that's why people were coming out, social workers coming out to your home. And I told him in the nicest way, you know, the nicest way possible. I said, look, we're about to sue that social worker in Los Angeles County and DCFS. I said, if you guys want to get on and get it, be another defendant in that case, keep hassling my client. You know, and I was very nice and very professional. I said, but you have no reason to go out and talk to this gentleman or to go out to the school and talk to the kid. My client doesn't give you guys that permission. And then, and this is what I want everybody to understand, most social workers, if not all, believe that they can go talk to your child at school without a court order. When they're investigating child abuse, possible child abuse, uh, under the California Penal Code. I'm here to tell you that I believe my professional opinion is they can't do that. And I think there is a case or was a case in San Diego. I I think it might have been San Diego County where the social worker did that. And the attorney representing the family, a very good attorney by the name of Sean McMillan down in San Diego, I think challenged that. Um, And... The federal, oh, no, you know what? I think it was Donnie Cox. Um, He's also down in San Diego. But whoever it was challenged that decision and said, hey, you know what? That's a violation of my client's civil rights. The trial judge apparently agreed. Now, this is a federal, a U.S. district court judge, a federal judge down in San Diego, apparently agreed with the family and said, you can't just go out and talk to people's kids just because you think you have the right to under this particular California penal code. It's a violation of civil rights. Well, of course, the county did not like that ruling, and uh, that that ruling is up, as well as the whole case, uh, is up on appeal, because what I think happened in that case, the the family presented their case, the county presented their defense, and they lo- and, and the family lost. But in a rare, rare decision, you know, you see this maybe five times in a career, the judge, or, or less, the judge says, hey, I don't agree with the jury's finding that the county was uh, not liable, and I reversed the jury, and I say they were liable. Hmm. Amazing. You know, yeah. you know, the judge said, I sat here and listened to this, and there's no way the judge, the jury could have decided that, um, reasonably decided that, and I'm reversing the jury's decision and entering the judgment on liability for the family. So I say all of that to say, you know, like I was telling the other caller, you, you, you can't talk to these social workers, and you can't believe that they're going to do everything that's right under the law. You can't believe that they're going to be, you know, that 
they're going to be honest and forthright. You know, to be honest with you, some social workers just don't know the law. And, you know, some they're I used trained to think by other social, social workers. workers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. That's exactly true. And I used to think, well, they're doing this because they're being malicious. And then I, I no, started absolutely. realizing in some cases, social workers don't know what they're doing or they're pretending that they don't know at least. And, you know, in a lot of cases, social workers are malicious, but in some cases they are, I think, misinformed. But I think that's the responsibility of the county, and I think the county's purposely telling social workers wrong information because that, those are their policies and procedures. I'll give you an example. When a juvenile dependency case starts, all social workers want to fingerprint uh, the parents. And everybody just assumes that's the law. That's not the law. Parents don't have to have their fingerprints done. And so in a lot of cases, I tell my clients, hey, they, they call me and say, the social worker wants to take my fingerprints. And I tell them, well, you have the right to say no. And then when they say no, it gets in the report to the judge, oh, it doesn't, they, they wouldn't cooperate and they wouldn't have their fingerprints taken. And I've actually had a judicial officer ask me, like, what's the problem with your client's fingerprints being taken? And I said, well, there's no problem. It's just not required. And, you know, they shuffled around and tried to find information, you know, that supported their position. And at that time, unless the law has changed, there is no law that says the parents have to have their fingerprints taken. Now, if you're a relative who wants to take the child out of foster care, yeah, you got to have your fingerprints taken, but not the actual parent. Anyway, yeah. sir, I want to thank you for your call, and uh, I'm thank looking you. forward to representing you in the in the civil rights case. I am too. Thank you, Vance. Have a good one. You too. Okay, I'm going to take another call. This is from area code six one nine, ending in four eight. Good morning. This is Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell? Or a question to ask. Hello. Hi, good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I actually have a question to ask, sir. Go ahead. Okay. Um sorry, I wasn't sure um if, if it was me or not. Um well um I, I had a situation, um I had heard about your law firm and I had a situation that happened in San Diego. Um about three and a half years ago. Um, basically, what it comes down to is um, it was a situation where, um, you know, the, the father um, remarried. I had had full custody of, of I, I want to say my daughter because he was really involved, but he got remarried and um, <laughs> decided not to return her the summer of 2014. And, um, he uh, made a he he had a barracuda of an attorney. I had none. I'm in another state, and um, you know, I, here I get the word that you know my my daughter's not coming back via phone call from an attorney saying there's an ex parte with just a lot of information that wasn't true. You know, it, it was made to look. So the ex parte, I guess, could get granted. Um, so um, I ended up being in California. Um, 
my my husband is very abusive. He's he's psychologically abusive. He's what what you would consider a gas fighter. And for three and a half years, um, <laughs> I had no representation. I mean, that was my mistake. But you know, I was a I, I, I flew out from literally the other side of the country to try to get my daughter back, not knowing that there was this huge case about to be thrown at me with all kinds of stuff. Um, and he called CPS um, and told them that, um, which I've read that people do, he called CPS and told them that I was abusing. I have three children, two from one marriage, my oldest from that marriage. And he called CPS and told them that all my allegations, that all these allegations that I abuse and beat my children and, oh my gosh, like all this stuff. Um, and um, the, the, I, at this point, I was staying um, in L.A. County at a, at a relative's house um, just temporarily. Um, I was looking for a safe house to stay in because he's, he has a history of, of cyber stalking, you know. And um, I ended up finding a safe house. And um, the, the social worker um, was she seemed very helpful at first, and she, <clears throat> excuse me, she, um, my 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 daughter who's now 11 at the time she was about seven I guess or eight, um, she 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 has trauma. Um, she she got trauma. Obviously, um, you know, you're with your sister every day, and all of a sudden she doesn't come back, and you don't know why. You know, you're eight years old, um, and um, she she tried um, like. She started getting anxiety attacks, and that's how the social worker got involved. You know, um, I got I went to the children's hospital in LA, and um, I I talked to her, and they told her, um, you know, like like they set up, and you know they said, well, we got a call that you know your daughter could harming herself, and I was like, yeah, she did. This is what's going on, and they're like, well, can I have this other person's? You know, let me have the other party's number, and then he told her her story you know, which is all the allegations of the abuse, and she said, I'm going to start an investigation. You could tell that he's been planning this for a very long time. So this was probably, like, August, you know, of 2014, and they had this investigation open where, um, I mean, they, they contacted everybody in our county, in, like our state, which is in North Carolina, you know, and by everybody meaning CPS there, um, like, like, therapist, everybody that we were working with, um, you know, because I'm an open book, I have nothing to hide, <clears throat> and um, that social worker handed it off to somebody else. Um, in the meantime, here I am, you know, I, I, as you can understand, I'm very overwhelmed, and um, I don't, I didn't know what the purpose of this investigation was, um, and, uh, you know, I was made to take my children in, like, I want to say weekly or bi-weekly, and they have to take off their clothes and, you know, like check them for bruises and stuff. And at the time, my son is now five. He, he was two, you know, I mean, he had a little bruise on his knee, I think. And what's that? Well, he's two, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know, you know, um, and, but, but not, nothing came out of that. Um, but at the end, um, they, they did tell me, it, it seemed like, like, it felt like they were on my side. And in the end, they, they told me, like, look, you know, um, you know, his, you know, his allegations are unsubstantiated. There's no abuse. You've been doing everything right. And I said, okay, can you go to court with me? Because at this point, I had no attorney. Can you please go to court with me and explain that? Because I've got this judge who 
you know, and, and I want to I want to say that that my, my point is CPS got involved and, and, and did nothing. Um, you know, I, I brought up um, you know psychological abuse. I, I told him how he had basically manipulated his way into our life. Um, he broke a lot of laws in, in my state. Um, for one, uh, recording conversations without my consent and then claiming that he had them, but he didn't submit them as evidence. And um, I read up that, um, you know, on California law, and I'm originally a California resident. I just haven't lived there in over 10 years. Um, I read up on California law, and I saw that, you know, when somebody makes false allegations of child abuse to a child protective service agency, um, they're, they, could, they're, they could be charged with criminal charges. And I guess people do that a lot because they want to try to get an advantage, you know, on, you know, proceedings. Do you know what I mean? Like, because then they can go back to court and say, oh, she's being investigated by CPS. And, and you know, it's like, well, yeah, you called, you know. Um, and uh, the, the social worker said, um, no, like, you know, we'll forward everything to San Diego and um, they can investigate the child there. Um, and they saw no abuse happening at the time you know, during all these proceedings. And just like that, some judge made the decision to keep my daughter. Um, you know, I've been studying the law for the past couple of years, you know, as you can imagine, it was very traumatic because, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a good parent. I'm not like a deadbeat on the side of the road, you know. Um, and uh, I had a big four-bedroom house in North Carolina. And when my daughter was taken, just like that, by some judge, um, I learned it. I learned that um, there's something called the Parenting Kidnapping Protection Act, where even even if like no matter what, and you know, regardless of the situation, the child's home state always supersedes any jurisdictional um, any jurisdiction um, question on jurisdiction for custody proceedings. Um, and and I, I want to ask if that's correct. Well, I wasn't too clear on that question. Ask it to me once again. I'm sorry. Okay. So, you know, whenever there's an order in, 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 let's say, a state, let's say California, you know, it's 10 years old, you know, and it says, okay, the mother can move with the child. This is a visitation schedule, which never really happened, you know, um, for, for the father, you know, mother has full custody, et cetera. And, um, this judge in California made the decision to just keep my child there. Like, like, um, and, and, you know, I had a move away order and, um, you know, CPS found no, you know, they did their investigation. They found no allegations of abuse, but when it came time to somebody to stand up for me, nobody did. Um, and I felt like I was doing the runaround. Like, um, you know, I talked to several people at the, you know, over the social workers level. And one of, you know, one of them told me, oh, you know, you know, you know, you're entitled to an attorney, right? And I'm like, no, I didn't know that, you know, I, I was in San Diego and I reached out to several nonprofits and they wouldn't help me because I wasn't a San Diego resident at the time. Um, and um, including legal aid, legal aid said, oh, we only help you if you have custody. And I said, well, I had it, but this person just made up some stuff and took it away, you know, basically. And I know this sounds fishy, um, sir, but the, the question is, the Parenting the Parental Kidnapping Protection Act, I believe that that protects things like this from happening, correct, where 
the child's home state supersedes the jurisdiction for any custody proceeding. Am, am I correct or am I mistaken? Well, you're partially correct, partially incorrect. It's a lot more complex than that. And the law is actually something called the UCCJEA. And yes, the Universal Child Custody Jurisdictional and Enforcement Act. And yes. I believe that it's an act that has been um, implemented or adopted by every state. And there are a lot of things that go on in UCCJEA battles. But one of the things that has to happen is um, the judges from the two states have to actually talk to one another uh, about who should have jurisdiction and what should be done. Do you know if that happened in your case? It, it didn't happen. And it's funny you say that because um, when I came back to North Carolina, basically with my tail between my legs, um, you know, three months later, um, you know, I was the first thing that um, I consulted with an attorney in North Carolina and they said, they're supposed to talk. Like the judges have to agree on which state should have jurisdiction. Um, and, and that never happened. Right. Nobody right. made a phone call to a judge. Um, as you know, in, in San Diego County, it's called, I didn't know this, mediator to me is mediator, but it, apparently it's custody recommended counseling, which means one person sits with you for an hour and, you know, whoever decides to tear the other person apart, <laughs> you know, that's the person that wins pretty much is kind of how it worked out. You know, I, I thought it was mediation, but apparently that's not how it works. So no, that never happened. Like, like, um, and so I was told by, you know, people here, and I've, I've reached out to, you know, a few domestic violence agencies because um, what this person did was basically manipulate, wiretap, put a GPS starter system in my car when he came to visit in North Carolina once or twice, um, so much stuff. And, you know, the reason why he did it in California is because even though I brought up all these things, that judge didn't care. It's like, well, you know, he didn't break the law in California, so in their opinion, oh, he's just trying to protect his daughter. No, he violated my civil rights, and he's <laughs> you can't wiretap somebody's phone. <laughs> you can't GPS somebody's car. That's totally illegal um, in any state, I think. So so to answer your question again, sir, I'm sorry I keep jumping around. It just makes me very anxious. Um, and um, no, that conversation never took place. Um, how long ago was the court decision? This was, um, I guess, now it was. It's January 2015. I think is when the final decision. I wasn't even at that court hearing, and what they did is, um, you know, legally called it coloring an order, um, and I guess they described the term as like if the judge, let's say, says, okay, you know, A, B, and C, and the attorney adds A through Z. But if I didn't know that if I didn't respond to it, the judge assigns the order. There were so many things included in there that weren't even part of the judge's decision. <laughs> I mean, I got bullied. I got raped from my custodial rights. I went from having full custody to zero custody, like no legal custody. And, and there's no proof even presented in court that shows why, even after CPS got involved. Basically, I was bullied. Well, you know. Wait, did you have an? Did you say you had an attorney, or you didn't have an attorney? I didn't have an attorney the whole time. For the first hearing, the ex parte, um, 
I, I, but the attorney, um, she's located in North County. Um, I contacted her and my parents, um, you know, like kind of helped me because I, I, I just was prepared for a thousands of dollars of cases and she went basically to appear for the ex parte hearing because I couldn't go. I got less than a one day notice and I'm over here in North Carolina. Um, and, uh, and then, um, and that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty much it. She, she, she did what's called a, I forgot what the term is called, but it's like, um, is it spotlight or you don't go in all the way. Like she's just doing it. Um, like a little limited scope. Little, Thank you. Yes. Yes, sir. Limited scope. That's what she did. And I was, I was like, she was trying to explain to me. I was like, Oh, okay. I mean, whatever. I don't know. You know? Um, so, um, that's kind of what, what happened there. Um, and then, um, then the judge, um, my husband is, you know, hadn't been paying child support accurately for years. And, um, you know, I left it alone because every time I brought it up, it was an issue. So I did, I would rather have my peace and make do with what I had. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the judge, uh, um, I'm sorry, like, like I'm, when, when, when another attorney stepped in and, um, you know, that I found in San Diego and, and, you know, he asked the judge for attorney fees and, you know, because he's like, I haven't approved my client, like was completely taken advantage of, et cetera. And the judge said, well, I'll grant $2,500 in attorney's fees. And he was like, 2,500, your honor. And she's like, yeah, that's it. So already the judge had a, you know, to me, uh, yeah, she already had a picture painted by whatever he put in his motions, which were awful. I mean, just reading them alone was enough to, I'm, I'm not joking. Like I started having panic attacks and, and I, I, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder as well as, you know, my daughter um, and my son, because they, you know, they remember their sister and what, what the father did was basically, um, you know, he, he didn't let us talk after the hearing of 2015, he didn't let us talk to her. And, and now it's gone to the point where like, you know, he's not really following the order. My daughter talks to me whenever she can, but I could tell that there's a lot of brainwashing going on a lot because, um, you know, you can tell as a parent, you know, um, he, he has a tendency to, uh, he has this type of predatory behavior. So to get what he wants, you know, he'll, he'll charm people, you know, he's a narcissist, um, which is, you know, it's awful. Um, and this is the person that has, um, control of my daughter. My daughter now is depressed. Um, and you know, she's not happy there. Um, I, I've, I've talked to her about coming here and she's like, mom, I would, but just adjusting to all this all over again. I don't know if I could do it. And then she's like, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea because then my dad's going to keep, you know, he's going to start calling again and asking like, you know, why aren't you calling me? Why aren't you calling me from over there? Cause that's what kind of started this whole thing in the first place. So to me, it's almost like she's afraid of, of, of retali- not retaliation, but she just doesn't want people to argue. Does that make sense? Um, but my, my biggest issue here was the judge. I feel the judge abused their power and, um, in, in, in so many ways, um, especially because you've got a mother who makes around 20 grand. I, mean, I was in school at the time, you know, and then you've got somebody who makes over $200,000 a year in income. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know, so. Do you have any visitation now? 
I, I actually don't. Um, you know, at the last hearing, um, they uh, like his attorney put in there, which I wasn't present for because at that time, like, um, you know, I, I was talking to my therapist over the phone for the couple months this was going on, and she said, "Could just come back. You can't keep doing this by yourself. Just come back." Um, you know, because like I said, I only had limited amount of funds for representation, and at that point, the attorney, you know, stepped down. Um, and, uh, you know, I, um, it's, uh, what do you call it? Um, I'm trying to explain. There was all this stuff put in there, like, um, like, oh, the mother should have a psychological evaluation done by this doctor, um, and the, the father has a right to all the notes, and the mother doesn't have the right to talk to the child therapist, like, just all this stuff, like, um, that basically, I mean, like I I'm not joking, sir. They raped me of my custodial rights. And, and it, even on there, on the order, mind you, this is not something the judge said. This is stuff the attorney added. Um, because I have, you know, I, I ordered um, some of the transcripts, and, and they don't match at all what the judge said. And, um, you know, on there it says that he has the right to listen into any phone calls and, and all this stuff. And, I, like, like, you know, um, and, and that uh super like if there was before there was even any visitation i have to consent to the psychological evaluation that he has access to and and i'm sorry like a lot of that and even the fact that they're giving him permission to listen in on my phone calls like i have a problem with that that's a total violation of my civil rights like my right to privacy especially considering the fact that on these motions he put all these violations of my privacy that he committed, like recording conversations and snooping around my house and, you know, things like that. You know, he, he, he accessed documents from my laptop that were personal in nature, you know, records, a journal, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. He admitted those things. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're in the motion and, and, like nothing was done about it. It's and you know I was told that it was because I was representing myself for most of the time. But and you can imagine how traumatizing it is. It's somebody that I trusted, um, you know, uh, and and you know I, I I just don't know what to do. Like my my daughter's sixteen, um, and uh, you, you know, ma'am, ma'am, do you have yeah. a pencil and a piece of paper? Because we're running out of time on yes, the show, sir. and I want to give you a telephone number. Oh, I'm call, sorry, sir. And we can continue. This, yes. We can continue this conversation on Monday. Let me know when you. Okay, sir. Got it, sir. Okay, triple eight, triple eight, six five eight two, eight 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 six five eight two. Call that number today after nine a.m. Make an appointment to speak with me on the phone, and we'll continue this conversation. I want to thank you and for calling. Thank you. We're running out of time for uh-huh. We're running out of time for this show. And I'll continue the section three oh nine uh discussion next week and the relative placement um requirement. I call it a requirement, uh next week when we talk on the show. Until then remember remember to register to vote. Vote for those legislators and those judges who are family organize yourself or try to organize yourself county by county. Thank you, and we'll see you next week on the radio.